Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at The Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at The Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated staff writer Rohan Notkerny. Rohan, I know you antagonize me every day via text message, but it feels like I've been away from you and the Open Floor universe for years, off covering this wonderful Memphis Grizzlies Minnesota Timberwolves series. Just how are you feeling today, my friend? Feeling good, Mike. Um, been in I was in Florida for about a month finally back in Los Angeles it's so much easier to watch the playoffs on the west coast so that's been outstanding a huge improvement in my quality of life not having to stay up cuz I also to me the the day is not done until I watch the last the inside the NBA after the last game like I need to see <laughs> what kind of foolishness those guys are up to and yeah, beyond that, I think the city of Miami is still waiting for your formal apology. I don't know if you're going to release a statement via your Twitter Notes app, um, how you how you want to handle it exactly, but you know, people are eagerly awaiting uh, your formal apology. So, my good friend, you picked <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets in six. <laughs> And your rationale was that they have Kevin Durant. And we're going to get into this later in the episode in, in a listener email that was really interesting. So I don't mm-hmm. want to step on it too much. But where is the apology for, for the Commonwealth? I mean, it's Kevin Durant who should be apologizing to me and the rest of his <laughs> Brooklyn Nets teammates. Um, again, we will get to this when we touch on Celtics Nets. The Nets offense has actually been shockingly good this series from an efficiency standpoint. It's just one guy has been so bad. Um, so, you know, I feel like it's Kevin Durant who owes me the apology. But, uh, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. 
Fair enough, Rohan. So on today's show, uh, we have so many mailbag questions to get to. I'm very excited. We're going to talk KD. We're going to talk Rudy Gobert. We're going to talk Timberwolves, Grizzlies, so much more. Uh, But first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming. This is the time of the year to do it, to get them in, folks. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, let's hop right into it with this email from a longtime listener, Carrie. Quick sidebar, the subject head to this email in all caps was Jordan McLaughlin. I never thought I'd lead a show with an email like this, but these playoffs have been that wild. So uh, anyway, Carrie writes... Hey guys, quick shout out for J-Mac. I described him to my buddy as the only reliable adult at times for the Wolves. Little did I know, and I follow the team very closely, that he's 26 years old. I figured he was 36. He looks 36. He plays like he's 36. I'm so pumped. Um, Thank you, Carrie. That's a wonderful email. (laughs) I wanted to kind of use this as a springboard to get into the series as a whole. One of my favorite things about the NBA playoffs is when someone like J-Mac, a third guard who didn't play at all in game three, has a podium-worthy performance in a do-or-die game four. Um, After the game, so I was at games three and four in Minnesota. We were trying to ask Anthony Edwards questions um, about you know, what happened. And he was at the podium with J-Mac and he was just like, no matter what you guys say, my answer is going to be (laughs) J-Mac. So I wanted to, again, just open it up, talk a little bit more in depth about this series as a whole, um, because that's selfishly where pretty much all of my attention is right now. And I am the host. I'm sorry, Rohan. Um, But uh, both games in Minnesota were classics. Uh, You and... Our our good friend Chris Herring covered the comeback slash meltdown. Um, the game three, uh, just uh, absolutely ridiculous Carl, game. Already. Carl Towns is unethical eight ball. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but just what are your impressions right now of this series? Where we are, we're tied two to uh, ridiculous. Game four. Uh, oh my no god! One, game I'm, four I'm, was I'm, insane. I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm gonna tell you right now. Nobody. Uh, nobody thought that the Timberwolves, the local media, I should say, thought that the Timberwolves had any chance in that game. It was pretty funny. Everyone I spoke to, uh, they obviously won in nail-biting fashion. Ty, I, I mean, Tyus, Tyus Jones, Jones had a lined up three. a perfect, and he lined it up. It was just short. It was perfectly online. I was confident that was going in. It didn't. Uh, the Timberwolves caught a break. But just what are your takeaways right now as we head into to Game 5 in the best series in the first round? I mean, just what you said, it's been the best series of the first round. It's been incredibly fun to watch. I think the volatility of it has been really, really exciting. I'm kind of stealing Herring's point a little bit, but I thought it was a really good one. He mentioned how both these teams are so young, they almost don't know any better. If Minnesota were an older team or had been around a little longer, like let's say the Jazz had blown two 20-point leads in a game, I don't think the Jazz are able to come back because they kind of have a, a collective and shared history of playoff trauma at this point. Mm-hmm. Whereas a team like the Wolves, because they don't know what the playoffs are supposed to go like, none of them have really been in this position before. And the same, frankly, goes for the Grizzlies. I feel like in some ways it's, 
not easier for them, but the, it feels like both these teams are going with the flow. This this doesn't follow the conventions of a normal playoff series because of the lack of experience here, and that's only made it more exciting. I think uh, the town's roller coaster in this series has been fascinating. Um, you know, he's hit two great games, two not very good games. The Grizzlies, you know, sometimes they go on big runs when Morant's not on the floor. You know, Morant, I don't think he's had a bad series, but he hasn't had a classic yet either. Um, and I, I think that someone who was in that top five MVP conversation for much of the season, I think he's he's doing a good job of distributing, but I'm a little surprised he kind of hasn't had that one real takeover game, at least in my opinion, where it felt like, oh, he's kind of finishing this late, uh, et cetera. It, it's just been interesting to watch. It, it, it's not it's not following a lot of patterns, and I think that's been exciting. So let's, let's focus in on the two best players in the series, Carl Towns and Ja Morant. Which one do you want to discuss first? Because I... I feel I first I, I agree with what you're saying about Ja. Let's 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 talk about Ja first. Mm-hmm. Um, after Game Four, um, he said that he wasn't Ja right now, um, referencing just how banged up he is. He missed uh, quite a bit of time at the end of the regular season with a sore knee, um, and there aren't any lob finishes. There aren't. There, he's not as. He's pretty explosive, of course, because he's John Morant. But he's not as explosive in the open floor. He hasn't been able to turn the corner. You know, after that first in in game one in particular, he was very just throwing his body around, trying to split every pick and roll, banging, drawing a ton of fouls. He drew twelve fouls in game one, which is like Joel Embiid esque, and Joel Embiid can't stay healthy doing what he does at that size. So it's not a huge surprise to me that Jaws kind of physically um, feeling that, that, that impact. Uh, but yeah, it's at the same time also like his playmaking has been at times brilliant. Um, they're still loading up to stop him. They're still trying not to foul, but they're throwing you know, they're selling out to pack the paint when he has the ball coming off um, a ball screen and really preventing him from trying to get into the into the lane in the ways that he were was in the first two games of the series. But it's like he just isn't like they need him to be great, I think, honestly, to to win this series like. The Minnesota Timberwolves have been the better team, I feel like, for the majority of the Interesting. action. And, like, unless Jaron Jackson Jr., um, you know, goes on, gets catches fire from deep and, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's just, like, at the end of the day, like, they, as Chris Finch said after game four, or I forget when he said it, um, even though Desmond Bain got really hot and just was the best three-point shooter in the universe in game four, he was, uh, Chris Finch was like, you know, they go as far as Ja goes. So, like, yeah, we lost Desmond Bain a little bit and we would like to stay closer to him. But, like, our focus is on shutting down Ja and or trying our best to, like, the game plan is to slow Ja down, not necessarily Desmond Bain. 
And I feel like defensively they're doing a very good job. And like John needs to be better. He just does. Yeah. And I, I do think the Wolves deserve credit. As you mentioned, they're loading up on him. You know, obviously they'd like to stay closer to Bane, but I think that some of those shots are kind of by design, right? You want, you'd rather have Bane beat you than Shaw uh, get into the paint at will. It's been just really interesting to watch because it's not that I think that the Grizzlies are necessarily sneaking up on the Jazz or anything like that last year. And obviously the team was a lot different, but yeah, just the best part about the playoffs is I think seeing how stars respond when an opposing team's entire game plan is tuned in over the course of two weeks, just slowing you down. Um you know, as you mentioned, he's had some big assists, and I think him and Towns have been similar at times in the series in the sense that when the opponent has focused so much on taking away their scoring, you know, they've tried to counteract that by becoming better playmakers, and they've both had success with it at times. There are also times where I feel like each of them should try to be more aggressive. Uh, I, I do think the Wolves deserve a lot of credit, because as you mentioned, they're loading up on him. Um, headed into the season, and this is just, again, like the job Chris Finch has done with this team, I think headed into the season, I don't know that anyone would have counted on the Wolves to be the kind of team that is slowing down a superstar in a playoff series, and here they are with Ja, um, who's been kind of up and down. I'm with you. I think they need him to be great to win this series. I. It's interesting that you mentioned Minnesota's been the better team. I think a lot, I've seen a lot of people say something similar to that. I'm still not totally sure where I land on that yet. I think logically I see how people have arrived at that conclusion. I'm still not totally sure I'm with it though, but I feel like part of the reason Memphis, even though they were such a better team during the regular season, has not been able to pull away is because jaw just hasn't had, it's never really felt like he's been in control of this series or a control of a game or a control of a stretch. You know, even when even when the playmaking has been good, at least for me, it's it's never really fully felt like he's uh, kind of just owned a quarter or an eight minute stretch of this game that was like, oh, it's it's Jaws in complete kind of he's overseeing the flow right now. He did that a little bit in game two. Um, where they were running off of makes and misses. But once the transition game kind of slows down a little bit and it's hard to run for 48 minutes, particularly when, you know, in, in a game like game four where Minnesota's making shots and they're able to kind of set up and Carl Towns is really drawing a lot of free throws. And this is something that drew Taylor Jenkins ire after the game uh, when Carl's able to get to the free throw line like that. It calms everything down. They can set up in the half court defensively. And that's not to Memphis's advantage at all. Like, they're a very aggressive defense. They want to force turnovers. They thought that they did force a bunch of turnovers that the referees disagreed with <laughs> in game four. And I'm not one to get too uh, caught up in the whistles and officiating in a playoff series. But there was one in particular, Jaron Jackson Jr. I mean, there was a lot that you could look at going back. But Jaron Jackson Jr.'s sixth foul, I think it was. In game oh, that four. was a terrible one. That was He went straight up. Towns just fell on his hip and they felt like they had to call a foul that was a bad yeah. one yeah that was right in front of me and you know looked up at the jumbotron saw all the replays i think brandon clark came from behind all ball block jaron jackson jr is backing up arms up 
And it was so funny during the day he's asked, Jaron Jackson Jr. is asked to shoot around, um, you know, what can you do to stay out of foul trouble? And he's like laughing and he's just like, I can't touch anybody. I have to show my hands on every play. And he did that. Like he, <laughs> he didn't initiate any contact. Like I thought that that was a sound defensive play and one that I'm sure the Memphis Grizzlies sent to the league office to take a look at. Um, but, but yeah, like Ja, getting back to Ja real quick. He's he's been brilliant at times pushing the ball off of makes and misses. And again, I just think that that is a really difficult uh, recipe to execute if you even – a recipe is executed. I, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going off of like three hours sleep again. You um, can execute a recipe. I can execute a recipe? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. So it's really – it's a difficult one to do over the life of a series. And he, I don't know. He's just like shooting – I know so much of his success is getting into the paint, finishing in the paint, drawing fouls, but he's shooting 40% from the floor, just over 40, 42% on twos. Like, that's just not, it's just I not going to cut it. He's, he had his best game scoring-wise was game one. I mean, he, since then, the scoring's gone down in every game. He's only averaging, I have it up right now, 20.5 points a night in the series. He's at nearly 11 assists, and it's it's funny. Like, his scoring is going down, but his assists are going up in every game and i think minnesota will take that frankly i think they will because i think that they're betting over the long term it's still a a better strategy for them if it's not morant uh basically owning the paint there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you and when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Right, so let's... I want to talk about Carl. Um... Real quick, because <laughs> because you were I, you took offense to that Herring and I had the had the wherewithal to criticize him after his what was it eight point game in game three. So let me just say, uh, <laughs> I think that the the game three thing with Carl is like you know eight points isn't great, um, and you obviously want. <laughs> more shots from your franchise center but like watching the game it's like first of all the Timberwolves built two 25 point leads playing the way they were with Carl drawing to kicking mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, reading the floor excellently but if you're going to criticize, and his defense was tremendous in that game, like one mm-hmm. of the better defensive performances you'll see from Carl. But like, 
there's two things with him that I think are deserving of criticism and that are fair. They're the cheap offensive fouls that really hurt him, forced mm-hmm. him to the bench in the fourth Absolutely. quarter. The reason that they, one of the reasons they lost that game, in my opinion, was uh, he picked up a foul. I forget. I don't know if it was his fourth or his fifth, but it's under the bench where he's just like on the perimeter battling Brandon Clark unnecessarily for like, it's not even a post-up position. He's basically at the three-point line from my memory, gets called for this foul, gets sent to the bench for a few minutes. And like their offense is just, when he's not on the court, it's just like, it's it's underwater against this Memphis Grizzlies team. Yeah. Like he's the center of everything that they do offensively. Um, and... The Grizzlies just executed a game plan to perfection. Like their defensive game plan in game three and in game four, they were, I mean, he was, he was excellent in game four scoring the ball. Um, But he went quicker also like before the doubles came, but he was also just reading the floor as well as he did in game three. And they, they, you know, they made some adjustments. They looked for him more um to get him involved meaning his teammates and i think like when we talk about the number of touches and the number of shots carl gets you can't shoot you can't do anything if your teammates don't pass you the ball so i think just like watching the game real closely and seeing like okay here's a possession where carl towns is posted up has kyle anderson on his hip posted up pat beverly sees this and drives the close out jumps in the air in the paint and turns it over like Possessions like that were very frequent in game three, I'll say. And so when we look at like a box score, we have to apply context and (laughs) seeing how everything is happening. So I'm not going to say he was Will Chamberlain in game three, but I do think some of the criticism was a little bit unfair. Yeah, I mean, I again, like Herring and I touched on this, so I don't want to rehash it to uh, the people who listen Friday. You know, I think... Neither of us had as much of a problem with the, the shot total as we did just the fouls, right? And I think that we even saw it with that rebound attempt in the end of game four where he goes out of bounds and he just needs to let the ball go out. Is He is just making, at inopportune moments in this series, some of the most mind-numbing mistakes I've ever seen a player of his caliber make. It's like all thought and instinct just goes out the window and it's infuriating to watch. And and like I said with Morant, it's like the scoring totals haven't been big. Um, and again, like credit to the Grizzlies. I think it's a similar situation where they're kind of forcing the ball out of their hands. Um, you know, I, th- I think with Towns, I, again, we, we mentioned this in the pod, like I'm with you, like they were playing a certain style that helped them build those leads. And that included Carl, not necessarily going off, but at the same time, I do think, you know, I hear you like when you're a big, it's different, right? You don't get to dribble the ball up the floor. There's some element of you need to rely on. Uh, Which honestly, guys. maybe I was, I was, I had this uh, inter- conversation with Chris Finch at a, at a practice sometime when I was over there. And I wanted to ask him if, uh, and I should have, if they should just have Carl bring the ball up the court. <laughs> like, I don't think that's a crazy strategy. Yeah, I don't. But uh, there's something to be said. I mean, and we'll get there with Durant. Um, we could get there with Trey Young. Like in the playoffs, I also do think that your superstars have to be held to a higher standard. When the other team is going on a big run, or you need to do something to stem the tide in the fourth quarter, 
it's not that I think Carl was like this failure or embarrassment or bad, but he, I also don't think he met that moment in game three, but I, you know, you saw it happen. He had a big game in game four. I, I thought he was better down the stretch. Um, so I, I'm, I'm with you that, you know, the four shot thing. Yeah. If you can look at it, if someone's going to look at it three months from now and be like, how did Carl Towns only have four shots in a playoff game? You know, it makes sense if you watch it at the same time, like, yeah, there's been moments where he's need to be better in this series. And I'm glad that he had the game four that he has, because this whole ride since the plan has been very up and down for him. And I think that's on some level to be expected. It is his real first kind of, I think, extended postseason experience when there's actually been some level of expectations for him. Um, and that's good. I, I think it's a learning experience. And I think this is this whole kind of journey, whether it ends in the first round or they do make it to the second round, is going to be good for his career long term. But I, I do think it's fair to say that he has not, I think, lived up to the standard that we expect of him only because he was that good during the regular season. I mean, we, we talked about this during the season, but it felt like this year more than ever, like Towns was, you know, the kind of player who could really take control of a game, the kind of guy who could really dictate the flow of a game, maybe have a more, a bigger impact than he's ever had early in his career. And I I don't think that's always been there. But like that impact to me is not reflected in the numbers because, and I'm not, I don't want to excuse game three too much and think again, I don't want to like say that he's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but like, the fact that after game one, the Memphis Grizzlies are the two seed, second highest winning percentage in the league. Their starting fives net rating in the regular season was plus 24.9 in 109 minutes. Incredible. Dominant. After game one, Taylor Jenkins is like, yeah, you know what? Um, Steven Adams, you're like not playing anymore in this series. Like you're a fundamental part of our identity. Sorry, can't play. Carl Towns is that good. So, like, the ways that he he impacts the series, like, that's huge. You've got Xavier Tillman starting game four on the road. Guy had two starts the whole regular season. Both of them were in April. Like, that, that that's that that's Carl. You know what I mean? Yeah, but, so but, like, that, but that's an adjustment. I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to kill the guy either. But in games two and three, he has two assists combined. He's up to nearly five turnovers a game in the series. Uh, to me, it's not it's not to kill him, but it's to say that I think you're so good. I'm expecting more than eight, five, and one in a playoff game. Yeah, I, I look. I, I I understand where you're coming from for sure. Um, but I think it was, I forget who said it, like Daryl Morey, maybe, but like just box score numbers are just like, they're dumb. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. There, there, th- that is going too far. There's Mike, we can go down the list of guys. If Joel Embiid put up eight, five and one in a playoff game, Daryl Morey's not going to be happy. Okay. I, I, I don't care if the Sixers build two leads. If, if Embiid, 
if Embiid had put up an eight five and one in one of those Hawks games last year where Atlanta came back and won, I, I, Daryl Morey's not gonna be like, oh, but, like come on, man, I, I'm with you. Yes, I know we focus too much on the box score. Spo did the same thing yesterday with his little comedy routine, putting on the glasses and looking at Oladipo's, you know, box score stat line and saying this doesn't tell the story of how he impacted the game. I agree. I agree. Nuance and context are really important. Especially in the playoffs, as we've seen with so many guys here, whether it's Jokic, Durant, Trey, etc. And listen, no one, we're not killing towns, but it's the same with Morant. I think both guys need to be better. I think both guys need to be better. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Very fair. Okay, let's let's move on. We have a couple other emails we want to get to for sure. Um this one comes in from Hedda. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. Uh, hello, Rohan, Mike, and Chris. As I am staying up until the early or early hours of the morning watching my first ever batch of playoff basketball, there are a few questions on my mind. And since I'm currently watching Game 3 of Celtics versus Nets, the one thought that keeps coming back to me, other than questioning how it is genetically possible for Nick Claxton to be the most beautiful man alive is what would a first-round exit in the 2022 playoffs mean for KD's legacy? Before the season, everyone was saying that this would be the year for the Nets, and here we are just over half a year later looking at a Nets team that's down 0-3. Much love, Hedda from Norway. Again, I hope I pronounced that. Thank you so much, correctly. Thank you so much for the email. Shout um, out to Norway. Shout out to Norway. Shout out to Open Four Globe. Gang, gang. Um, Durant's... Legacy. I'll just stay off the top. Durant's legacy is secure. Uh, he, he's going to retire as one of the ten greatest players ever, in my opinion. One of you don't the think three. he's a you don't think he's a bus rider, as Charles Barkley said. I don't know. I don't <laughs> think that. Um, one of the three greatest scorers ever. He's selfless. He's ruthless. He has two Finals MVP awards, one regular season MVP award. He came back from a torn Achilles to be ranked number one on the Sports Illustrated Top 100 list. Like, what else could as, you say? As Chris Honestly. Herring is, Chris Herring has been in dissent of that opinion, and he's yeah. he's he likes to remind us every few podcasts constantly. He, constantly. He's like, I know, I know, there was a consensus that Durant was the. Best player, but not all of us <laughs> felt that way. Um, shout out to Harry. <laughs> so, all that said, this is the worst playoff series of Kevin Durant's career, easily. It's not a good look. Yep. 
He's shooting 36% from the floor. He has more turnovers than assists. Uh, he's only attempted 10 threes, which I know the three-point like that the three-point line hasn't been like super much a part of his game this season because of how the nets are constructed. But that's like a that's a wild number that is very concerning. Um, also concerning the minutes, he's at forty three point one per game, which is a mark he's only previously topped twice in his career. Uh, we haven't seen him playing this much since t- he was twenty five years old. <laughs> he's thirty three. Um, mm-hmm. I think if you want to criticize KD, and then I'll throw it to you, Rohan. The decision to team up with Kyrie Irving is where you Mm -hmm. should start. Uh, Then this season, essentially siding with Kyrie over James Harden, which led to Harden getting traded. That's another point of criticism you could apply if you would like to. Um, But, like, I'll give credit to... uh, First of all, I'll just say, like, is it outside the realm of possible for Durant to come back next year with a vengeance? Uh, Joe Harris is healthy. Ben Simmons is healthy. I don't know what's going on with Kyrie and whether or not he's on the team, but maybe Kyrie is healthy. Uh, maybe Quinn Snyder is your head coach. Like, <laughs> I think like the Nets winning the title next year with KD being the best player in the playoffs is totally possible. But like, this team is a seven seed for a reason. And... Going into the series, there was a lot of you know a lot of respect for Kevin Durant, of course, but he's going up against the best defense in the league, a defense that is basically constructed to. There's never been a defense that could successfully shut him down, but as good of a defense as he's ever faced in his life, Tatum is the best player in the series easily, and just dominating the one-on-one matchup, guarding Durant um, as the primary defender in every game. So, like, in terms of his legacy, like, this will be, if they do lose, we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, if the Nets do lose, if they're swept, um, this will be the second first-round series Duran has ever lost. Like, he's a great, 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 great player. Uh, I don't think this impacts too much of how we should view him. I think that how the Nets have been uh, coached, how the Nets have been constructed, their decisions as an organization are much more um, emblematic of their struggles in this series. And so that's where, where I'll, I'll, I'll leave that. Like, I, I think the way that Duran has been defended has been uh, magnificent and sure he could hit more shots, but like there's a lot of issues going on in Brooklyn. Yeah. So first of all, I'm with you. I think his, his legacy is, I think his legacy is he's the best scorer ever. And I think he's undeniably like a top 10 talent ever. I think kind of where the the resume or accomplishments ultimately end up might be a little bit up for debate. I think in a vac, I mean, if we like want to go there, I think in a vacuum, most of us would say he's a better player than Steph Curry. But I think Steph is going to finish his career and rightfully so as the more accomplished player. Um, I think that it's been, it's been, wait, wait, can you repeat what you said? I think Steph is going to end up with a more accomplished career than Kevin Durant. Okay. I need to process that, but go on. 
I mean, he's going to have, I think he's going to have at least one more championship. I think Steph is in a better position to get another one. He's going to have more MVPs. Um, yeah, I, I just, I think that's what's going to happen. Um, and I think Steph ultimately made smarter decisions for his career uh, than Durant did. Um, <laughs> this this series, first of all, I was looking this up today because we did a roundtable that went up on Sports Illustrated on Monday. The Nets have a better offensive rating in this series than they did during the regular season. They're actually scoring really well as a team. Um, these games have been close uh, for the most part. For most stretches of most games, they've been close. Um, like game three was like the biggest blowout and Boston pulled away in the last four or five minutes. Um, and I think a big part of that, I mean, and again, all credit, I think, goes to Boston's defense. Like, they have been, like you said, constructed to slow down Durant. You wrote about this. It's been fantastic. Tatum's been easily the best two-way player on the floor, um, the best player. Like, there's no need to qualify it. Um, But if they get, like, average performances from KD, they're winning some of these games. Uh, You know, they could be up 3-0. They could be up 2-1. Um, because frankly, like even with Kyrie struggles in games too, like a lot of guys on this team have shown up uh, to me, this series has just needs to be a wake up call for the Nets organization from top to bottom T- to steal a line from D'Angelo Russell. They thought it was going to be sweet. They hired, a, they hired a head coach that the players wanted. They got rid of Kenny Atkinson, who did a fantastic job, who, who led that organization through the darkest, one of the darkest periods any organization has gone through in the last 10 years, no draft picks. He develops all these guys. You know, the the quotes are, we love the culture Kenny Atkinson has built. We love the system the Nets run. When the, you know, Katie and Kyrie signed there, they let him go. Um, you know, they bring in Nash, and they are just... I, I tweeted this, but they're truly an affront to team basketball. And I don't mean that in like KD and Kyrie are selfish. I mean that their lack of attention to detail, the like the, the, the turnovers they had in game three, that possession they had, I think it was in game two, where, where Kyrie has nobody to inbounds the ball to. Like, that was game was, one. Game one. Like, how is this happening to you in a playoff series? It, it's like... You know, running these same KD elbow isolations over and over again. And not only that, like, okay, you want to run a KD ISO, but then why are you having, you know, Bruce Brown, uh, you know, run into the paint when KD is the ball in the elbow, just inviting a second defender over to Durant every time? Like, the number of times I've seen KD catch the ball and a net make a bad cut that, in fact, invites a second defender over to Durant, I'm just like, what are you doing? I just think it needs to be a wake-up call for this entire organization from top to bottom. And I know that they are going to go down as the greatest what-if team in history. Because frankly, like, if there's no COVID can, can I, and, and can Kyrie... I say, yeah. Can I, can I just real quickly say that this is not even the greatest what-if team that Kevin Durant has ever played on? But <laughs> yes, true. Proceed. Sure, but... um. You know, if there's never COVID and we never have the vaccine drama with Kyrie Irving, maybe all those three guys get along and they're winning their second title in a row. But it's just, you know, they need more adults in the room. Their their roster construction is either guys who are a power forward and an all-star in 2010 or players under 6'4". I, I, like, 
I don't know why. Wh- what was the point of cutting James Johnson if you're not going to play Kessler Edwards? Uh, it just is, a, I think, a wake-up call for the entire organization. Um, I Frankly, I think it's good for the NBA that they are losing because of how poorly they play together as a team. And if we've seen anything during these playoffs, uh, <laughs> it's that teams that actually play together are succeeding. Um, yeah, it's just been... A, a total wake up call, and I, as you said, I I, I mentioned I picked the Nets in six because again, like I think if they get average Durant in this series, and I the reason I I I thought the Celtics with Rob Williams could do this to KD, I didn't think the Celtics without Rob, who's now back and and looked pretty good in limited minutes in Game Three, I, I thought without Williams they were going to be in trouble. Not the case. Um, yeah, it's just been. I'm just disappointed in the whole Nets organization. I'm not even angry. I'm just disappointed. Like, you know, try to put an actual team on the floor. And then we haven't even touched on this, like, ludicrous Ben Simmons drama where it's like every week he's supposedly getting closer. Now the most obvious report in the world, I mean, there was no chance he was coming back for game four. I mean, I was not even very confident he was coming back for game three. But, I mean, those leaks had to be coming from somewhere. It just mm. is. It's just a total circus. It's a total clown show. Uh, they need to get some adults in the room, and they need to button this up because Durant is too good. And I understand that the situation is largely of his choosing, right? He wanted to leave Steph. He wanted to play with Kyrie. That's fine. Like he should be happy in his life and his career. But from a, as you mentioned, top ten talent. I mean, he's he's just too good of a player. Uh, uh, and I feel the same way about LeBron to like be mired in such a mess. Like, get it together, get a grip. <laughs> so, if you are the, if you're Josiah or Sean Marks or whoever's signing off on this decision, um, if Kyrie Irving opts out of his contract and is like, give me the max, what are you doing? I hate to pull a Stephen A. Smith here, but I'm offering him maybe one year and a team option. I mean, what are you going to do with this guy? Uh, like, I don't know. I like, I just don't know how you motivate him. And and that's not even a dig at Kyrie. Like, if if he wants kind of this like nomadic, sporadic, like doesn't want to follow conventions of a player of his talent, that's his prerogative. That's his right. Like, I don't begrudge him for that, but. I mean, the, the the issue here for the Nets is KD's clearly hitched his wagon to Kyrie. Kyrie's probably the most mercurial superstar in the NBA. And, you know, do you make a decision that by alienating Kyrie also alienates Durant? I don't know how you navigate that as an organization, but I don't know how you give that guy like a four or five year contract. I really don't. I mean, uh, like I, I yeah I, I really really don't know how you do that organization and you know they might be handcuffed because that's what it takes to keep Durant happy um or maybe you just say we're gonna line your contracts up with Kevin since he already resigned but I, I don't know man that's a tricky situation but to me like what I what I'm doing is I'm sitting both of them down I'm like we're getting you guys a coach that it's not it's not a collaborative process where some nights Kyrie's the head coach, some nights Katie's the head coach. It's like, no, we're getting a head coach who's the head coach every single night. Uh, we're installing an actual offensive system, and we're not doing this thing where we're just banking on, on you guys hitting contested shots every night, and that's our, the only way we can win in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I think as an organization, you have to you have to draw a line at some point, and like Kevin Durant has signed an extension, a four year extension, uh, and so like at some point, if he's unhappy with a decision that you make, he's got to live with it. That's what this is. I'm sorry, like. Like, you can't just continuously cater to your stars who are under contract to keep them happy when I don't know what recourse he had. And he's, you know, he's been very, he's committed long term. He's spoken publicly about um, how he wants to build something there, even if this year isn't where they reach the mountaintop that he's looking forward to. And like, if you have a plan in place to put a championship product around him, a championship caliber roster, which I think they can still do without Kyrie Irving, I think it would be difficult, but I think it's still possible. Like, I think you should do. I just don't think that Kyrie Irving is really worth the the headache. Like, he's a net negative in in my opinion in a lot of ways. Also, on the court, uh, just has not shown up after game one in this series, really. And you can talk about the defense. You can talk about how he kind of will spend stretches just loafing around and um, not really engaging with a functional system. Um, Kind of bucking back. I I would be really fascinated to see how he would react to structure, uh, the type of structure that the organization uh, desperately needs. Um, So I don't, I don't know what you do if you're Brooklyn. Uh, I am not willing to bury dirt on them over the next few years. I do think that the series is over, though. And, like, the number one reason, I guess, also that fundamentally I was pretty confident that Boston would handle them easily, which I don't think they've handled them easily, but they are up 3-0, is... Brooklyn just never cultivated a defensive identity throughout the entire season and their go-to adjustment rotationally in game three was to insert Blake Griffin into the game and Blake Griffin, what happened was exactly what uh, anyone who has watched basketball over the past few years would expect to see where Jalen Brown just hunts him and has success over and over and over again. Um, So, like Brooklyn's defensive rating right now is 118 something. That is two points worse than the 30th ranked Houston Rockets during the regular season. They're getting absolutely roasted. Uh, this was very predictable to me, and I thought that it would have taken it would take it Herculean effort by Durant and and Kyrie offensively hitting very difficult contested shots to win, and they haven't been able to do that. So. That's my stance on the series, but I guess getting back to the question, KD is is like great, and I don't. Everyone I, I really has don't. a bad series. Everyone has a bad series. A lot of a lot of great players in history have had bad series or embarrassing, quote unquote, embarrassing defeats. It does happen. Yeah, just like Trey Young. Okay, let's move on to uh, just uh, Trey Young is just he's not better than Jimmy Butler, and that's fine. Not most NBA players are not. That's okay. He's he's got that in common with a lot of other players, and that he's not we, better than Jimmy Butler. I love Jimmy Butler. Um, 
I think Trey is a slightly better player at this I point. That's just no. I think just just there's. I don't we know what, get, what what basis you can you make that claim when Jimmy Butler has thoroughly outplayed him on both ends of the floor. There's a like you said the reason there's a Nets with a seventh seed. There's a reason the Hawks with a ninth seed, and you can point to oh, but he led the league in total points and assists. Blah blah blah. Like the dude. Hawks with Chris Paul, I'd take Chris Paul over Trey Young ten times out of ten right now. What did Chris Paul do last night? And I don't want to get bogged down in this. What did Chris like, Paul do this whole team. season? What did Chris no. Paul do this whole season? Rohan. What did do you, Rohan. do you think? Rohan. What did Chris Paul do with the Oklahoma City Thunder? Rohan. I'm not did he have, trying did to he talk have about great Chris teammates Paul. Then no one is talking about Chris Paul except you. Love Chris Paul. <laughs> All the respect for Chris Paul. But in the context of this playoff series. One player is going up against an incredible defense, mm-hmm. one of the best mm-hmm. defenses in the league. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One player does not have his healthy front court, which is critical to how he plays basketball. He's a pick and roll playmaker. He needs dive men. Clint Capella came back, wasn't himself, clearly, missing everything around the rim, didn't play in the first three games in the series. John Collins, shell of himself, has no timing, no jump, no burst. On lobs at the rim. That matters for Trey Young. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Butler is going up against Danilo Gallinari and one of the worst defenses in the league. And Clint Capella and, isn't back there and, protecting the paint. Uh huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, but these are just mm-hmm. facts. Like it's okay. It's, and it's, let me hit you. Let me hit you with a couple other facts. First of all, sure. When he had Clint Capella and John Collins for most of the regular season, his team hovered around 500. That's a fact. Until very late in the season, they finally got over the hump, finished a full four games over 500. And part of the reason that defense is awful is because of Trey Young, who gets hunted on every single trip down the floor to the point where P.J. Tucker, four years older than Blake Griffin, by the way, posting him up, just putting him in a body bag. Uh, okay, yes, that is true. If the um, best player on your team is getting roasted by 37-year-old P.J. Tucker... Okay, that's cool. I dude, just don't think dude, he's better. Th- I'm dude. not saying Trey Young's bad. I'm just I just don't okay, think he's better than Jimmy Butler. I, I know you watched the game. PJ Tucker also had success on one position posting up DeAndre Hunter. He also had success on one position posting <laughs> up Onyeka Okongwu. So look, like crazy. Like I don't think that that's like a point to make in saying that Jimmy Butler is better than Trey Young. I think that looking at the what is I happening seen in the series, anyone challenge Jimmy Butler one on one in the post in a long time. Okay, like I, I, I can't. Okay, we can't. I can't get into this right now. But I do think Trey Young is is a better player. Um, I just, okay, that's wrong. I just think don't that's know fine. I know you do. We have to agree to disagree, and that's okay. That's what makes our country wonderful. Okay, so <laughs> we are now going to the go fake to this news, email. the misinformation <laughs> on this podcast. My God, we are going to. Uh, this is not news. This is an opinion. This is su- subjective. This, this is, is beautiful. No, it is objective. <laughs> it is a. It is not. It's actually objective. It is actually objective. It is very much not. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge, or how it seems like you always get those hard to snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Um, Okay, we have this very funny and wonderful email from Joe who writes, Hi guys, love your show and the excellent thought-provoking and blood pressure-elevating questions that come from the mailbag. Keep up the great work. I was watching a jazz playoff game and it dawned on me. The only player on their team that I really like is Rudy Gobert. He may not be much offensively, but he always gives 100%, crashing the boards, providing excellent screens and elite defense. Unlike Donovan Mitchell, the dribble till you drop, throw up some slop, momentum killing, third tier guard, non-defending ball hog, Jordan Poole all day long over Nodovan Mitchell. Yikes. What I really can't stand is the way the Jazz treat Rudy during the game. It got me thinking, how dominant would my Golden State Warriors be with Rudy Gobert as their center? How does this lineup sound? Steph, Clay, Poole, Draymond, and Gobert starting. Sixth man, Wiggins. (laughs) Kaminga, GP2, Moody, Porter, and Looney off the bench. My question is simple. Do you agree with my take on Gobert with the Warriors? Also, what other teams, if you plugged in Gobert, would become favorites to win it all? I guarantee that list is longer than if you plugged in Donovan Mitchell. Love the show. Sincerely, Joe. Joe, great email. Um, Okay, so I do think this, like the Jazz, as we're recording this on a Monday over the weekend, uh, Donovan Mitchell hit Rudy Gobert for a go-ahead lob dunk with 11 seconds left when it looked like the game and the Utah Jazz as this entire era was just like coming to an end after Luka hit this step back three over Gobert with like 39 seconds to go to go up four. Don't you feel like the Mavs brought Luka back one game too soon? I mean, he he was like totally dominant down the stretch offensively, but I he see. Was, but he, I wasn't think that he, yeah, yeah, he, he wasn't moving great. Yeah. He wasn't moving great. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But you know they. You're up two one. You're playing with game. house money. Yeah, I. You'd found something that worked. I, that was interesting to me. That's a tough decision. I also do think. Hmm, I don't know. Like these teams will never say this publicly. I do wonder if you're Dallas. Like you can't. Like I don't think they're playing with house money personally. Like I think that if Luca's ready to play, you got to play him because. The Phoenix Suns right now, we're not going to talk too much about this, but like Devin Booker not being there, that series tied it to all of a sudden this everything is wide open. Like what if the Grizzlies mm-hmm. lose to the Timberwolves? Like what the, do you like, The West is teetering. The West is teetering right now. It's completely unpredictable. I mean it's setting up for the Warriors. It's setting up for the Warriors. Yes. So but if you're if you can anything can happen as we've seen with these injuries. So like you know, I I would want to win I would treat every game very, and I know that you don't want Luca to get a long-term injury, of course, but I feel like their medical team is aware that maybe that is not much of a threat, and he wasn't moving particularly great, especially on defense, um, but 
Yeah, offensively, he's just he's like unstoppable. He's he's a ridiculous. Yeah, but, player. So but anyway. like so so is like Jalen Brunson. I I don't know. It's listen. I I'm with you. I I I'm not. I'm mostly floating it out as like a capital T take, but I, I was actually surprised because I thought once they went up two one, like they were going to push it back. But anyway, let's go ahead with this Gobert question. I guess. Okay, so what I wanted to look first of all, I'm kind of leaning towards like yeah, sure, Gobert would be great on the Warriors. I don't. Yeah, like I, I, the, I, he'd be good on the Warriors, but not because of Rudy Gobert. <laughs> like, I, I, like I love I, first of all, like. He's a pick and roll. It, it would just kind of change everything, and so yeah. I wouldn't want to. I re- actually like wouldn't. I'd rather have Looney next to Draymond or Wiggins next to Draymond than Gobert. To be perfectly honest, I think that the Warriors are fine with how they are constructed. Is yeah. how I would put it. But like, if they could add Rudy Gobert and not pay a premium, yeah, they're probably going to do that because he's great. Um. So anyway, I think that the conversation about you know, assuming that the Jazz lose this series, which is an assumption to make, they could easily win it. That's possible. Um, assuming they lose, assuming big changes are around the corner that extend to the roster, I'm officially of the mind that you do not trade Rudy Gobert and you do trade Donovan Mitchell. And... The reason why I think that is if you're the if you're the Jazz and clearly you're sealing with like if you were to trade Rudy Gobert, watching the Jazz, like that team is going to I don't really care what you get back for him, which isn't gonna be a lot. But and it's not gonna be future assets either, and you're trying to be competitive right now. But like that team is in the lottery. It just it just is in the lottery. And their defense is atrocious. And Donovan Mitchell is a, a supreme talent, absolutely. But if you're just looking at it from like the the short and the long term, if I can trade Donovan right now where his value is very high and I can get future assets and I can get players who can contribute right away, who will defend on the perimeter and can guard multiple positions, which Donovan has not done. He's He's been the exact opposite of that in this series. One of the worst on-ball defensive performances I can remember seeing. Like, you will tread water. Like, you will make the playoffs, pending what you get back, of course, but assuming that you get back quality talent, you will make the playoffs. And you're not going to win the title right now, but, like, tread water with whatever you get back from Donovan and assume that you get a haul that's, like, I don't even know, multiple picks, a blue chip prospect who's going to potentially blossom into an all-star. I don't know who that is. Like off the top of my head, the number one player there is like RJ Barrett in a type Mm -hmm. of deal. And you go from there as an organization. But like, I, yeah, I just don't, building around Donovan is going to be, that would be very, that would be very difficult. And there is absolutely no promise that he will resign there. So I know that this is not even close to answering this question, but I wanted to just get this these thoughts out there because I think that that is going to be one of the most dominant storylines of the offseason. It's very interesting. And we actually, I think I brought this up on a podcast or in a tweet like before the season. And it, I'm not bringing this up just because the conversation we had, but like 
Donovan versus Trey is actually a really interesting conversation for me. Like, if you switch them, like, what is the result of, like, what would happen to the Hawks or the Jazz in that scenario? Um, I'm just of the opinion now that, like, Gobert and Mitchell just make each other worse. Like, they're just, they're, like, the worst fit, even though we had them as kind of, like, in our top ten duos. Like, at this point, I just, I think when it comes to playoff basketball, like, neither of them is making life easier for the other one. I, I know Gobert is kind of like the backstop and and theoretically he's making life easier for Donovan, but like uh, they just are a bad mix. They're a bad mix. I hear what you're saying. Like, I think that they are more likely to tread water by trading Mitchell than by trading Gobert. I kind of think they should trade both. I think they should just really okay. blow it up. <laughs> I think they should really blow it up and, because if if you're of the opinion that that Trey is as good as he is, which I'm not, like I don't think Donovan is that far behind him. If he's if he's far behind him, I really don't. And in that scenario, like you can build a good team around that kind of player, even though he's as bad as he's been defensively during this series, and he's been awful defensively during the series. He's getting called into every switch, and he's getting smoked. There's no question about it. But Trey, Trey gets in a defensive stance. Like, he's <laughs> small. Donovan Mitchell was drafted in part because of his defense. So, right. like, it's just like the effort isn't there. At that, And that is more worrisome to me personally than this guy's small. And, you know, at least he's, like, trying and he's hedging recovers. And he does get lost off the ball for sure. But, like... Donovan's just like he he's just he plays like he doesn't care sometimes and that is not great. It, I agree. I agree. And yeah, I'm not going to make excuses for him because that's been there. It's been bad. Um but yeah, I I just think that at this point like Gobert is a max player even though as good as he is defensively that there's <laughs> even if they had like you'd just still have to have a really really good wing defense like team I, Gobert's kind yeah, of offensive but, thing like another thing that that is an issue for me with Gobert and like we talked about this you remember during the season we had that moment where you were like do you think would you take Devin Booker and Chris Ball over Mitchell and Gobert and I said yes to me there's still something about I need my second best player or my one of my two best players I need them to be able to do something with the ball in their hands like down the stretch of a playoff game. And and let's like, you know, when I wrote about Aiton, like look at what Aiton did in game three of that Pelican series. I mean, he was good again um, in game four. It was really Chris Paul who struggled. Like, I think what makes Aiton a max player on a championship team is the fact that he can, he has those small flourishes he can add to his game um, that I don't think in a vacuum, he's a better player than Gobert. I think if you're trying to win a title, you need a center, I think, almost more like Aiton than you need a Gobert. I think that Aiton's wonderful, absolutely. It's also hard to have this conversation because the Jazz, our perception of who Gobert can be is just so warped by how bad the Jazz's perimeter defense is. It's it's just hard to have the conversation. No, yeah. So if, and I know Jay Crowder played once upon a time in utah i I understand that but like if you had jay crowder mikhail bridges Mm -hmm. cam johnson 
like big wing like Tory Craig would be like a <laughs> godsend. The jazz, yeah. Yeah. So I was talking to someone at the at the the, at the game the other night. We were watching on TV. It was like if the Jazz had Dorian Finney-Smith, and this is part of like their organization's problem, their inability to find a diamond in the rough like that. Yeah, I mean, like, to their credit, to like that. I give them because they made the Conley trade when I thought they should have looked for a point guard, and there was once upon a time Mike Conley was one of the best defenders in the NBA. No longer. Um, can I? Yeah, it's just do, do you, you know like you that, that's also bad I, luck. Do you remember when I? posited a trade ba- way back in i think november or december when the celtics were terrible about marcus smart for mike conley um do you remember that <laughs> i think so because i was like i'm sure i'm sure the celtics would love to make that to be that it's crazy to think about that now yeah that's that's an interesting one the celtics would never make that trade in a million years now <laughs> as long as we're bringing up stuff that we used to said on the podcast remember when i said the warriors are a more dangerous team than the utah jazz and i got roundly no. criticized on this podcast <laughs> i don't don't recall that ever happening sorry <laughs> <laughs> we really need like a hall of fame of our bad predictions that we've made on this pod um that have since blown up in our faces we got to we got to make sure we we put a pin in that for next season at least. We do, we do. Um, all right. Do you have any other thoughts, Rohan, that you want to get off your chest? Just about the playoffs as a whole, about Gobert. Um, honestly, real quick, last thought on Gobert, and this has been said a million times, but Gobert on the Mavericks title, like that's it. They won the title. Like they're gonna, they would win the title. That's what I, I honestly think that. Um, and I say this as someone who is confident that the Clippers will win the title next year. But <laughs> the Mavs mm-hmm. with Gobert um, instead of, I, don't know, I guess, like Dwight Powell. Just, I don't even know how, how do you stop that? I think that that would be and as great as they played defensively as is. Like, man, that would be that would be a team right there. That would be a team. Yeah, I just I'm I think. Mitchell has had an awful playoffs. He's been so inefficient too, shooting. I mean, he's had some like abhorrent shooting nights as well and taking like 29, 30 shots. And what's crazy about Donovan and Herring and I talked about this as well is like he really just seems like a kind of guy who's willing to hold himself accountable. He says all the right things. Um, It's just been weird to watch. I think both Rudy and Donovan just need a major vibe shift. I think they're both going to be better. Um, once they're in different situations, I kind of believe that. And in all seriousness, I think if you're, if you're positing, if you're throwing out there that you can build like a great team around Trey Young, then I think you could also build a great team around, um, Donovan Mitchell. I I don't think that that's out of the question. Um, Can I just say to that? Yes, you can. It is really hard to, I love Trey. It's really hard to make up for his shortcomings. And they've done that, in my opinion, with this team. But it's hard. Like, Yeah, it's difficult. The types it's of players difficult. that you need, these wings, wings who can shoot threes, put it on the deck, guard three or four positions, mm-hmm. those are basically going for the max nowadays. Yeah. So, so there that's is a salary why, cap. That's it is why very I'd, hard. 
That's why I'd rather have someone like Jimmy Butler who can deliver on both ends of the floor, you know, average 30 in a playoff series on over 50% shooting, uh, defend all five positions, uh, make plays for others, uh, whip up a beautiful cup of coffee. Um, you know, he just, he you want to talk about propaganda. You want to talk about propaganda. singing voice. I mean, someone has to counteract it. Someone has to counteract it. I mean, uh, you know, which team has the best net rating in the first round of the NBA playoffs so far? It's the Miami Heat, second best defense. Um, you know, just continue to get slept on, uh, by the national media, by the pundits. That is not Like true. Michael Pina. No one is sleeping <laughs> on anyone. <laughs> um, this the playoffs have been so good, man. Like the playoffs have just been so good. I've been having a ton of fun. Can I ask you just a totally random question going back to something we talked about earlier on this podcast before sure. we wrap up today? How did you feel about because we we didn't obviously didn't host this podcast then. Like, how did you feel when Durant first went to Golden State? When he first went to Golden State? Um yeah. Well, let me go back in time. Let's see. One of the teams that he was meeting with was the Boston <laughs> he, Celtics. He also met with the Heat. He also apparently loved Spo. I don't know how true that and, is. But. Yeah. And they had the Celtics flew out Tom Brady, Brady to the Hamptons, yeah. Kelly Olenek in a tie-dye shirt. I mean, those were great times. Yeah. Um, I miss the days of free agent meetings. It doesn't happen anymore because these guys know like – 13 months in advance where they're signing. So I hope we get a post pandemic, post pandemic situation like this with someone again yeah. soon. I feel like Donovan could honestly be yeah. the next one. Yeah. Or, but what did you think? Know, what did someone. you think? I was disappointed. Uh, I, and I was, I guess right in the sense that this team would just roll through the NBA mm-hmm. and they did. And that wasn't very, inter- I mean, it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. Um, it was fun to watch at times, but it was like the most fun to watch when you felt like the other team actually had a chance to win. Right. Like their dominance was just so like it wasn't it was fluky in the sense that you shouldn't be allowed that like the salary cap is in is created to prevent something like this from happening. And you sign st- it, it go there's a cap spike this one year because yeah. of the TV money. Um, Steph Curry, who is worth so much more than he was making on right. that deal, signed that deal way below market value because he had ankle issues. It was just like this. It was just like a one in a billion type of situation, mm-hmm. and uh, they were already a 73 win team. Yeah, and like I don't want to rehash all of all of this, but it was fundamentally disappointing to me i wish that um you know watching the western conference finals in 2016 one of the greatest series of all time watching the finals in 2016 when the warriors lost one of the greatest finals of all time like that just kind of went out the window for a few years and i'm happy that the league right now is in a place where we are starting to see a little bit more (laughs) volatile sorry a little more um, unpredictability and parity and balance is what I'll say. I think right now we have more guys than ever who I feel like can be the best player on a title team. And we haven't talked about Jokic. We've avoided that discourse. But I think Jokic, Luka, Tatum, 
all those guys have entered the conversation for the, the record i'm not i'm for the record i'm not ducking the Jokic narrative i'm happy to to jump back into that at some point <laughs> with you yeah we'll have to do that i'm sure i'm sure by next week uh my guy <laughs> season Jokic. will be over yeah but shout out to him shout out to Jokic. i think it was 38 or was it 36 8 and 7 in an elimination game biggest play of the season draws three guys in the paint kicks it out to will barton for the corner three just 66 percent shooting legendary performance from Jokic. um yeah man kd he's just had such a weird career he's just had such a weird career and he's made some decisions that i think ultimately have not fully helped him and one thing that i've just really appreciated about this playoffs is like it's really competitive and the teams that are succeeding, it's not like they're like no free agents or, you know, the Suns went out and got Chris Paul, the Heat went out and got Jimmy Butler. But I think just what we've seen before is like like teams that are actual teams are playing really well together. And it's just it's fun to watch as like kind of as we get to maybe the tail end of an, a particularly wild era of superstar movement. You know, it's always cycles, and at least right now, it's kind of refreshing to see how the league is playing out. Well said. Um, on that note, we're going to wrap up today's show. Rohan, thank you so much for your insights and your expertise. Thank you so much to the Open Floor Globe for the questions. These emails today were amazing. We have so many in the chamber, but please keep them coming to openfloormail at gmail.com that's openfloormail at gmail.com oh, we, didn't even, we didn't even get to my favorite email from today we definitely got to hit that one we'll be rolling it over yeah, no doubt yeah, about it yeah um, but thank you thank you again everyone everyone please stay safe everyone please continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs hey. Hey. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Network.